Welcome back to the Traders for a Cause podcast. I'm your host, Zach Shellhaus, Executive Director at Traders for a Cause. My guest this week is a gentleman who I've been waiting a long time to talk to. His name is Brian Lee, and he is a retail trader and former professional gamer. Brian, welcome to the Traders for a Cause podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with me, and uh, I'm glad we're finally making this happen. Tell me what's going on in your life, man. What's going on outside of trading right now? Well, I'm getting married in April to my fiance who's been with me for over eight years now so through thick and thin so i'm really happy about that we've delayed it for so long because of covid yeah and um we finally finished like a major part of our home renovation we're like 90 probably 95 percent of the way through and that's been basically kicked that kicked me out of my house for the past three months so it's good to be back in and you know working on my routine and everything like that nice Nice. Where is home for you? Um, I live in the Bay Area, so NorCal. Okay. Very nice. You uh, born and raised in that area? No, I moved. I moved here just last year in 2021 to be closer to um, my fiance's family. Well, I, I know uh, from personal experience that uh, any uh, any woman who is willing to be married to a full time trader is uh, a very special individual, <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> I guess we owe them a lot for their patience, right? Literally without, without her support, I would be nowhere near as successful as I am today, just because she picks up a lot of slack, you know, being in your office all day long and like just taking care of the things around the house or just bringing you food. Honestly, like that's a, that's a lifesaver. And in fact, like a couple of years back, she was covering the rent and everything like that. And so for me, I made it a point to like make this work to pay her back for all that, like 10 times over hundred times over, you know? Very nice. So you guys have been together for years, huh? Yeah. She, she was with me, um, through my professional gaming career. Okay. And, um, even when I started trading and she was just like, what, at one point she was even like, what the heck? Like, I don't even know if this is going to work. This seems so risky. You know, our, our relationship fluctuated just because of the uncertainty, but it worked out <laughs> for all the guys out there who are watching too many YouTube videos about traders uh, sitting and trading on the beach. Um, trading is a, is a slug fest and it's a, oh, yeah. you know, it's a grind. It's not realistic. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very hard work. The most successful guys we know, right? They're, they work harder than anybody, right? It's, it's an incredible amount of work and dedication to be good at this craft. I want to talk a little bit about and just hear about your, background and how you kind of found yourself where you are now. Uh, you started off in professional gaming. I know very little about professional gaming. So how did that start? How did you discover that you had a knack to do something like that on a professional level? Well, when I, when I was growing up, I used to play a lot of video games just because that was like the only thing to do. And I had a cousin who was really close in age proximity to me. So we would always compete at whatever we played. And so I got used to like wanting to get better at games just for the sake of being better than someone else. And that rivalry kind of like stayed with me for the rest of my life. And when I was a kid, one of my older cousins, he um, introduced me to like a gaming documentary about a guy who was playing StarCraft like professionally. That was really new to me, the idea that you could 
play games and make a good living. And so like that kind of planted the seed for just later down in life. And, you know, I've always just kind of played games here and there. And eventually a lot of my friends started playing the same games as me. And then, so like, I just wanted to be the best of the group. And eventually I just got a lot better than them. And so I started looking for like other people to play with and against. And that just led me into this realm where people started making like these amateur teams and competing in tournaments. And like, I loved the feeling of competing in tournaments just because like there were a lot of things that you could win. You can, you can build a reputation for yourself. You can win some prizes that made me want to compete at the highest level possible. Um, and then eventually like I just kept trying and trying and trying and over time um, I just met a lot of different players and put together some teams and got recognized in some capacity. And then that led on to like me being sponsored and pursuing like kind of my dreams to be a professional. Tell me about the barriers to entry into pro gaming. Like, is it comparable to like becoming a professional in other professional sports or is it, is it easier or is it like, are, are the, the top echelon of pro gamers, are they that good that it's like a one in a million shot to be at that level? Well, the, it's actually pretty red. It's pretty structured these days, how things um, progress for players. So basically all, most competitive games have some sort of ladder where you can kind of prove yourself on a leaderboard. And so like people will try to get those top spots and if they, you know, if you play enough games and you improve your skill and you get high ranking, naturally other players will start to take notice of you. And at that point, I think that it's just a matter of timing and luck and really just putting yourself in the right spot to get picked up by teams or to have enough of a reputation to form a team, at which point you just start entering tournaments. And if you have good results, organizations are always looking for players to represent them so that they have like their foot in the door and have access to like the esports kind of arena the barriers really have to do with how disciplined you are uh what kind of region you're you're playing in so for example oh and also the era that you're playing um for example when i started playing there was no like traditional metric to evaluate how good someone is it was mostly like a reputation thing and just outright results because I started playing it over 10, uh, 12 years ago, actually. And so like at best during those times, you would have like very sporadic tournaments throughout the year, not, not too many opportunities and, uh, the prize pools weren't that great. Whereas today there's more structures in place for teams to compete and get on that big stage and compete for millions of dollars. So like, teams are always looking for players to fulfill certain roles. And strategically, um, based on what you like to do, you can make yourself invaluable. So like what I did was I, I picked a role that is very selfless, which is a support role. And what that does is like, that kind of separates you from the rest of the field where like everybody wants to be the flashy guy. Everyone wants to- The glory, they want the glory, right? They want the glory, yeah but not many people are willing to take on the harsh roles. So for me, I basically took on all the hardest roles possible. So I wanted to, I was the leader of the team. I drafted, which means I created the strategies. Uh, I made the decisions within the game for the strategy. 
Um, I played the most selfless role, which like nobody wants to play. And then I made it a point also to pick and play all the niche kind of characters that required like a lot of skill and a lot of practice. And so it was very easy for me to like get fielded by other players and become, you know, valuable to them. But in general, like the difference between someone who's kind of on the amateur level and a professional level is really just the time and dedication. So for me, like knowing I wanted to be a professional gamer from the get-go, I was trying a lot harder than people were trying like on a normal, you know, casual kind of game. Like I was leading random people as if I was leading a team, as if I was competing in the high stakes tournament. And some people will call you like a tryhard or whatever it is, but for me, it was all practice. And so the players, just like in trading, you know, if you, if you take it seriously from the get go, and then you just compound on that by seeing what mistakes you're making, having a focus on the direction you're going to take with your practice and just being like really focused on your goal. I think that's the biggest thing that gets someone from like amateur professional level, because I've seen like, as I became a professional player, there were younger players who would ask me like, Brian, how do I get into the scene? Is it even possible for me? I'm just completely nobody. And I was like, well, if you have a really good base aptitude, like you're already highly ranked or you're getting, you're on the way there. If you now just start refining and setting the path for yourself, like what is a, what is a pro gamer expected to do? How much practice should he put in? How is he reviewing like his own play? And, you know, uh, we have replays available to us so we can, we can play games and then we can go back and watch. We can go back in slow motion. We can see all the variables we couldn't see in the game and then start internalizing that. And this whole like professional mindset is basically going to translate really well into a competitive environment. But then there's also other people who are just complete prodigies. Like there's like 15, 16 year olds who, you know, they have no worries in the world. They can dedicate as much time as they want. They end up picking up things really quickly and they use just their raw skill to get on teams. But in general, you know, the, the gaming landscape is really diverse where teams try to balance out where they have like a younger, like flashier player. And then they have like a veteran who knows more, has more experience. You can calm them down and teach them things. And so it's, it is like a, it's like any other team, you know, you have people who bring different strengths to the game, but the, the most important thing is that your mindset is geared towards winning, knowing what it takes to win, having the ability to like really be focused and disciplined with your like improvement and just keep playing and keep practicing. So two questions. One, what, what was the game? Curiously. Uh, it was called Dota 2. The reason why it's called 2 is because um, the original game was created by Blizzard Entertainment. Okay. But they didn't want to move forward with it in a competitive sense. So like players were kind of upset. And then the, um, the original developer, he got hired by another gaming company, Valve, who produces games like um, Counter-Strike. Mm -hmm. And so they basically recreated the game on a different engine and then just put a two on it. So people knew like to just transfer over <laughs> and that became a huge hit. So Blizzard really missed out on the opportunity to have like a massive franchise and I think ever since they've tried to kind of like make something similar, but it just never lived up to the hype. The closest game to it would be called League of Legends, which is like 
way more popular than Dota is because um, Dota made the mistake of taking way too long. Uh, League of Legends, they just copied the idea of Dota, made the game free, and did it faster. So it captured like a huge audience. But in general, they're very they're very comparable. Same skills, um, same type of uh, team environment, everything like that. So it's basically the same idea. So when you're when you're training to become a professional gamer, what is like walk me through a day? Like are you literally just playing the game for eight hours? Is that is that like your schedule daily? It's a lot more than you would think, and it depends on the scenario. So like when I first started, North America sucked at, at everything. So what I had to do was I had to get five North American guys to wake up at 5 a.m. every day to play against Europeans because they're nine hours ahead of us. So we would wake up to play at their prime time um, on really high ping, which means like every action you make in a fast-paced game is slightly delayed, which can get really annoying, but you have to do what you got to do because like where you place your focus in your practice is is going to be proportional to how good you can get as a team course and so like personally i believe more in just playing high quality matches versus like just queuing up for some random game we typically try to schedule out and a block of like eight hours or so just non-stop games and each game can last an hour and we'll just play as many of those, those games as possible some players you know that they don't have much more responsibilities other than just playing and doing well whereas like for me, I have to do a lot more work outside of that, which is the post analysis, the replays. I have to talk to people and, and tell them, you know, hey, I think you could have done this better or you made this mistake. And that's really difficult because, you know, people, they don't want to, they don't like hearing those things. And you have to get in these quarrels with people. Then I have to think of strategies. I have to analyze how my strategy could be improved, et cetera. It's, it's like a, it's almost like a whole day thing. So basically, before bed i'm visualizing like what my strategy will be what what went wrong in the day what went right in the shower i'm just thinking about the game thinking about it when i'm eating so basically i'm not i'm thinking about the game all day long besides when i'm comp- like physically knocked out and unconscious during sleep <laughs> and you just you do that every single day seven days a week uh, i used to get i used to get like really pissed off at people for taking holidays off especially the unnecessary ones and that, and I had to kind of mobilize a team uh, way early on where they weren't even getting paid at all. It was like an internship where you, you skip every holiday, you work seven days a week, at least 10 hours. And <laughs> that's for the chance to compete, not even the ability to compete, guaranteed. Unbelievable. So when you're scheduling these matches, I guess when you're trying to get better at these games, I mean, I've played games before. I kind of feel like, especially in the in the interactive ones, like if I go in there and try to play against somebody who's got, you know, a lot of experience on me and I just get destroyed, I feel like I wouldn't learn anything. Like you just go in, you're immediately, you know, defeated. Do you find that like playing against, you know, better challengers, even if you're not anywhere close to their level, do you still feel there's value there or do you try to find like well-matched partner? Yeah, I mean, there's there's huge value. It depends on the the mindset you have. So, when I was more immature, when I played someone better, I used to try to think like I had to I had to cheese them by getting really gimmicky with my strategy or with my play. 
um, doing something different that would throw them off. And I think that's where you lose the value because if it's not something you would naturally do versus someone of equal skill, then it's not really a reliable thing to work on. Whereas if I had gone in with like my best ideas and just seen how it stacked up, naturally see the weaknesses or how I could improve it based on what they're doing, then there's always something to improve because um, like the general mindset of gaming, which is very similar to trading, is that whenever you go in and you try to execute, you have a plan in mind. And as long as you know what you're meant to do, based on your plan and you live up to that, then you get really accurate um, feedback um, over the course of many games or many trades. And so like, even if you lose, like the worst thing that can happen is that they don't want to play you again because they think you suck. But, (laughs) but if you're yourself always working on something, I think it's just a matter of time. And that's like, that should be the main focus really. So did you find that that playing a game professionally kind of took all the fun out of it? Or did you still actually enjoy it? <laughs> no, I, I I really enjoyed it. My it is such a creative thing where I've I loved the intellectual stimulation of thinking of new ideas and new strategies. Um in these games, it's very easy for people to just be bound by a metagame, which is just the most popular stuff that people see that's proven Um, for me i like to think differently for me i would rather try and fail by countering something that people think is strong than by then doing the thing that is the most popular and like having a guaranteed result so like to me it was it was a huge creative exercise and i really enjoyed the fact that i was doing things that nobody was doing and because i'm creating novel ideas at a high level it was like exciting to try it and also exciting to show it to people because a lot of our games are being broadcasted and a lot of people are watching you know we build fan fan bases and people are like holy crap i've never seen that before that's so awesome you know like to me it it was like a very exciting to just think it was more i still even like to think today just like of things that i think would work and based on like how i think today like how I would have executed maybe it's just a weird it's just so fun honestly strategy strategy to me is really one of the most like uh, fulfilling things especially when you think of something that works (laughs) because a lot of times it won't work at all but when it works it feels better than any other feeling in the world well it sounds like you know based on how you're describing professional gaming that the 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 transition into trading was kind of one kind of natural for you right I mean tell me about that process like how did you go from gaming and kind of deciding that you wanted to get into trading yeah so once once i had been gaming for a while um, my results started to diminish because i was starting to lose motivation Um, it's it's very difficult to compete in a game where you're not only on a team with uh, four other players um, of all different like emotional maturities and ages and temperaments but you also have to deal with like management sponsorships everyone has an opinion you know like you lose a game and then your your ceo is going to say something to you or your manager is going to start pitching ideas but they're not even good at the game 
you have all these inputs the fans are like shit talking you on reddit and then players start you know gossiping so it's just like a, it's like a mess everyone is just in emotional turmoil sounds like and, twitter uh, for traders yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> if one person sinks a ship everyone goes down with them it's it's really important everyone is um on the same page and i had a very um abrasive leadership style where basically at the very beginning i had everyone sign a contract where i said like look i'm a very introverted guy but i know we need a captain to succeed i will be that person because basically it's like one out of one out of a hundred people will want to be a captain it's a lot of responsibility and so i said look in order to do this i'm going to have to create almost an alter ego where i have to like yell at you to get my information across and tell you to shut up basically all the time and not listen to you if i feel like your idea is not as good as my idea so that we're all on the same page and cultivating that aggressive nature was very difficult for me to keep up because um i always try to relate everything to other fields so i was i was studying leadership books um i was studying uh all these different content online about how different organizations can succeed at a higher level when you know basically everyone is is contributing and uh having a voice and things like that and i tried those approaches but i found that a lot of these gamers they just want to be told what to do or they're too young and naive like they don't they don't put in a, enough time into the thought process of the strategy and so a lot of times their inputs would be really terrible and uh, kind of throw the game and but if you don't listen to their input then they feel ignored and then they become despondent and striking that balance is very difficult so like throughout so many teams and people getting poached they you know organizations they buy out your players and then you're like what the hell i just lost my best player or they want to buy you out and you're always in your mind thinking like should i leave this team what i've been working with for a complete gamble and that, and it's just like a the ecosystem is very volatile basically every year teams completely disband and reshuffle like nonstop and so it's really hard to build that foundation to build off of and um yeah i was just getting sick of it as i was getting older cuz uh i i didn't like always having to do this hard work and find no results and so um how old were you at this point i was in my in my 20s uh, i started like when i was straight out of high school so it was like 18 early 20s was like the peak and um so you it was trailing off probably approaching like your mid 20s that when you were yeah dealing with the younger guys how and they yeah. were how old like they were like high schoolers essentially well they're usually the same age or just slightly younger okay but um like emotionally you know like i'm a, i'm the kind of guy who started the game thinking i'm going to be a professional some of the other guys they they don't treat it as seriously and so like for example i've i've played games where we're going to these massive tournaments and in order to prepare we have to you know sit down and like really practice and like i have a guy who's in who wants to go to like edc so he just flies to vegas uh before our tournament and we can't practice for a whole week i have a guy who gets really upset and just completely locks down like doesn't talk at all uh, and then we get into a really big argument you know th this this is not abnormal for dealing with these people because typically gamers you know you focus all your attention on one thing 
mentally, they may be most likely on average, they're about three or four years behind. So if they're in high school, they're like a middle-aged mindset. Whereas like, I felt slightly more mature in that sense. And it was really frustrating to deal with. So basically I, I started my exit strategy, which was that I was looking into trading. So for like the last two years or so of my career in gaming, I was studying trading and then I tried my absolute best at, at what I could at the time. I wasn't seeing the result. And so to me, that was really frustrating. And I just completely burnt the boat. I quit the game cold Turkey. I didn't respond to any of my friends. I didn't uh, play the, I didn't do anything revolving with the game um, so that I could focus on trading 24 seven with the same mindset, except, you know, like the common kind of like consensus about trading and, and is that, you know, it's a, you are your own business. You, you live and die by your own work ethic and your own effort. And to me, that sounded like the most beautiful thing in the world coming from a team environment, just like, can I do this? And, uh, I wanted to almost like vindicate myself because I felt like if I put my mind to something, I know I can succeed, but I was slowly losing confidence just day by day in that environment. And uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't hang on. <laughs> so yeah, going to trading was very natural for me. Just the same thought process. It's a, uh, it's like a game you get, like you get feedback instantly. You know, I'm the kind of person where if I start something like, let's say if I want to learn a, learn a song on the piano, right. I'm not going to play the whole song. I'm going to try to play it perfectly. And if I encounter one mistake, I'm going to restart and fix that mistake until that mistake is perfect every time until the next mistake. And so in trading, you know, you enter a trade, you exit a trade, you get feedback right away. And then you have the whole like analysis aspect afterwards, which I'm completely used to just hours on analysis. Um, and then you have the execution aspect, you have the planning, the strategy. I mean, it was like, to me, it was just one-to-one -one and it was even better because of the money, you know, it's just, it, it's useful. You know, it's a, something that you can do for the rest of your life. And I was like, I would be stupid not to put everything into this. This is the best thing I could do for myself. Get paid every time you win a game instead of just uh, getting more practice, right? Yeah. All right. So you started with reading about trading. What books did you read? Well, I, I, I started just looking into YouTube. I read uh, How to Day Trade for a Living. I think, I think that's William O'Neill or someone like that. I read a lot of the books that you just see, you know, like trading in the zone, except I didn't understand it. You know, like you don't understand psychology until you actually really trade for real. Uh, I think the most content I really consumed was from YouTube. And like, I got, I got into like the Tim Sykes stuff, like a lot of people, which, you know, I'm think I'm thankful for him for introducing me to the game. I don't necessarily like do anything remotely close to what he does or not. I don't even know if I really learned anything to be honest, but, um, that's, that could be just me. <laughs> the ultimate backhanded compliment. <laughs> well, okay. Like I'll say this, the OTC market was absolutely dead when I was joining. So like I had no reference for what he was helping people with. Whereas like people who kind of stuck with it in like 2021, 2022, they absolutely nailed it. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, I wish I knew OTCs right now. So it's just a different, it's just a different thing. You know, you gravitate to whoever seems appealing at the time, but like, I think that the value was in just like the inspirational aspect. It's like, it's really hard to motivate people. And I feel like he was really good at 
transmitting like that passion, giving you some sort of mindset to operate off of. And so like that combined with what I already knew made a lot of sense and resonated with me. So it just was a good place to start off of. Well, do you know that most of the founders and all of my colleagues at Traders for Cause, we kind of know each other because of Tim Sykes? Because we met <laughs> we met at his penny stocking conference. Like we're talking like back in like 2011, maybe. Yeah, no lie. Crazy. Yeah, small world. Oh yeah. You jump in with both feet, or did you paper trade? How how did you uh, how did you get to the point where you were just going full time, or did you just go straight into it? Yeah. So I. I was lucky enough to have like the support of my family. So I just lived at home and uh, I could give it everything I had, which was huge for me. I decided that I was going to paper trade for a year, position sizing correctly, you know, using the correct risk, trying not to over exaggerate the results and having a, re a review process. Like I knew a lot of traders at the time were using DOS Trader. And so I was looking for ways to like paper trade with that. And I found out that um, like some brokers, you can pay for the data, you can pay for the platform and just paper trade on it. And so I was paying like really honestly like, through the roof for the data and everything just so I could paper trade and learn the platform that I eventually would, you know, use professionally if it worked out. And um, I was trying to give myself the largest time horizon possible. And so like a year seemed like nothing to just really get accurate results and not like throw it all away. I, I felt like I only had one chance to do it and I wanted to take it seriously. So for me, that was the natural way to go about things. And then eventually I transitioned into to live trading. And then like, I realized a lot of the stuff I was practicing was kind of useless. <laughs> right on. So you said that you learned a lot of like your basics by following Tim Sykes. And as I understand it, as we've spoken about before, your primary strategy is short selling and you are in the micro cap realm, right? Yes. Okay, yes. cool. So talk to me about the current micro cap environment. You said that it did kind of like go on fire in 2021 and, and oh yeah, I mean, currently. 20, 2020, 2021 was beautiful. 2022 so far has been absolutely garbage in micro caps, like to the point where I think people think it's dead or that it won't come back which is obviously not true, but it's been a rather extended period. Probably one of the worst I've seen in my career of like watching the market for over six years. <laughs> but also part of that has to do with just my own personal growth. So like I, I'm learning just how small the micro cap environment is and uh, with liquidity, especially. And when things are slow, it's even, even worse um, than what it would be normally. So um yeah, at the moment, like I have to be really picky about my trades. And in the past, I might've been able to trade more just because like of less size and everything like that, more trades are viable, which is like a distinct advantage to being small, tr small trader in penny stocks, just because, you know, you have like far more volatile moves. You can take positions on those and you can build your account pretty well. But um, yeah, at the moment I would say like, it's not very good and I haven't, I've been honestly kind of struggling, but um, struggling is all relative. Like if I look at my all-time equity, it's just a, a small pullback, but um, it does feel kind of like an endless cycle of just waking up and taking the necessary losses because I'm managing my risk, but the follow-through is simply not there. And that's like the, that's the real killer because like 
you know, the, on, on average, I typically have like a three, four or five average risk reward on like a, just an average month. And like in February, my average risk reward is like a two to one, which is really bad with my win rate, sure. which is around 30%. So like even executing as well as I can be, um, making mistakes partly because of frustration, it's just whatever, it's just what the market is giving me right now. And, uh, I know like far more people are struggling. For example, sometimes I have a conversation with my broker. They told me like a lot of people are getting killed right now. I've talked to people like my friends, they're also saying like similar decrease in the risk reward trading in general or, or your yeah. strategy with my strategy. So I try to, yeah, I try to speak mostly to people trading similarly to me. So I get accurate uh, results. Cause I want to, what I learned early on was like, if you trade with like a bunch of different people with different strategies, uh, number one, it causes like a style drift FOMO. Like some people say like having a, having someone to, to argue with you and having contrarian point of view is good. But in my opinion, it's like, I'm going to execute my system no matter what anyone says, even what I think. So it doesn't matter what you think, right? Um, the results are going to be in the, in the actual analysis. So I don't really care about that. I, I, I want to talk with people who are like me so that I can be like, Hey, this month sucked for me. How was it for you? Okay. What? And then if they say it's good, then I'm like, okay, something's wrong here. Right. Sure. And then, so I can analyze more of like what I should be doing, what mistakes I'm maybe overlooking or, you know, just like get a feel for how things are. Cause if, if I say it, it sucks and other people say it sucks too, then I know it's like more than likely that it just sucks and it's not, it's Misery not me. loves company, right? <laughs> but no, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's a way that I can objectively measure things. Cause I, cause I want to associate not just with like anybody I'm associating, like my friends are good traders. They're great traders. So I know if a great trader is not doing well too, it's like, it's a there it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And re and reassuring, you know, that you're not mm -hmm. on an island somewhere that you're doing something dramatically wrong. No, I totally get, get it. it. <laughs> so if it's tough right now, I mean, obviously markets are cyclical and, you know, I'm sure eventually the strategy will come full circle and it'll, it'll start working better again. But in the meantime, are you exploring any other options or any other strategies? Yeah, I, tr I, so I tried, I tried to trade some large caps, but, um, the the issue I was falling into was just a mental one, which is that uh, like I'm I'm so frustrated that I'm trying to grow in small caps, but then the liquidity is just not there. So then when I see a large cap, I'm like tempted really to put in a ton of buying power into like two three times what I normally would risk. And so like I've I've tried that, but you know the the edges are slightly different. The market is a little more efficient in terms of like sometimes I think it should go further or would go further in like a penny stock, but then it will like have the reversal. So I won't, I, I didn't take the profit and then, you know, it starts dwindling and like, I've, I've had this problem where, um, you know, I'm just taking like the normal losses, uh, on those trades, but lacking the edge. And I think the thing that is really most damaging is that I'm looking at it because of a lack of something, like it's the lack of plays in my niche that I'm looking for something outside of myself, which is almost like a kind of a desperate a mindset. Trade. Yeah. And like, I don't like that feeling because I, it's not really, it doesn't feel like it's from choice. It feels like it's more of like a degenerate, <laughs> like idea to trade. And um, 
the thing is like I, I I'm starting to learn kind of the value of like rest. Um, it's something that my coach um, Kim has been like echoing to me for quite a while now, but I haven't really taken seriously just because, you know, traders tend to be like, like workaholics or just even just addicted to the market, to be honest. I was using this opportunity with like a worse market to just take some days off. And that's that's honestly opened a lot of insights to me about like just resting and saving up your mental capital and just kind of like using your energy elsewhere when the opportunities are not there so that, you know, when the opportunities are there and they will come, that I'll be good. Cause like, sometimes I'm, I look at the weeks and I'm like, if I didn't trade at all, I would be in a way better position right now. Right. <laughs> it's so it, like, it doesn't even matter. It? Yeah. Because trading is not trading is nonlinear. It's not like you don't work for a paycheck. You, you can make your year like in a month or a week or even a day. And so the idea that you have to always be trading and that because it's slow, you can't trade and just make more money when it may not even be really relevant for your life, just causing more stress. Like that is something I've had to really focus on. And so like, I don't like the idea of replacing something stressful with another thing that's stressful to make more <laughs> right. money that doesn't even affect my life. Of course. Um, just because I want to trade like Cash I want is a position, right? Cash is a position. It's it's weird because I traded every single day basically for like years. So it's been hard to to adjust out of the habit. But yeah, I mean, um, I forget who the quote was from. One of the market wizards, might have been even Minervini, ironically, uh, said that, <laughs> you know, he doesn't go out to find the money. He just, you know, waits until it presents itself and he picks it up off the ground <laughs> or something like that. Or the, the, it's a very interesting quote, but you know, in the meantime, I guess that I guess from a from a trader's perspective, sometimes sitting on your hands is the hardest thing to do. You know, if if you're used to being very active, and all of a sudden yeah. your strategy's not working. Well, it's it's growing pains because, um, like I said, this there's an edge in being small. You could trade anything, but when you grow and grow and grow, you have to be more selective. And um, I'm a systematic trader. And generally in terms of systems, you don't want to miss trades because you want to put as many trades into the system as possible so that over the long run, like the law of large numbers, it'll play out profitably. But what happens is when you get bigger, you have to now start omitting trades and you may be omitting trades that would work, that would balance out the losses, but because you have to really place an emphasis on what's your best trades your results can come about in a slower fashion. Uh, it can be much more frustrating and you ha actually have to exercise a lot more discipline. And I think that um, there's a value in placing a bunch of trades when you're smaller because you can get to know what's good and what's not good. And you can also just get so much feedback and so much experience and build on that. I'm really getting to the point now where like I have to look at the wisdom of, the great traders before me, like, like Phil Godecker, for example, you know, he talks a lot about patience and just waiting for his opportunities, things like that. I think I felt like it was not as relevant when I was a smaller trader, because you have to just learn how to trade and you cannot just trade like once a month or once a week or whatever, you know, like you have to refine your skills, but, uh, as you get bigger, it becomes more and more true that you have to be more selective more focused and more patient 
And that's kind of like the skill that I'm working on today as it's like the most relevant at this point where like, I can't trade everything, uh, even if I wanted to, just because like I would outsize the liquidity and therefore become like an issue for yourself. And the thing is like, as you grow uh, in small caps, you don't get the perfect entries, you get slippage, you don't get the perfect exits, same thing. Every single metric that you've been trading as a smaller trader will start becoming weaker and more diminished. And so your edge is almost diminished in that point as well. So you have to like be much more selective so that your stats will reflect actually what your, your edge is. And, um, that is like sitting on your hands is so difficult. I find. <laughs> well, if you, as a systematic trader, if, if something meets the, the requirements of the system in order to enter a trade, if you don't take the trade then you ultimately don't have the data, right? I mean, like you, I guess you could kind of back test it whether you did it or not, but you actually want to be in any position that fits the fits the bill, right? To to collect as much data as possible and, and continue to refine and improve the system. Yes. Well, I mean, I, so at the end of the day, I still do record those trades that would have fit um, if liquidity wasn't a concern. Mm -hmm. And I still look at those and analyze that, but, um, to be honest, uh, since I've been doing it for so long, uh, many years now, I, I don't even believe that I have to necessarily like gather that data. Like I already, I already know the edge exists. Um, I can execute it without any review at this point. Like I, I'm get, I got to the point where I kind of know like exactly what to expect with the niche and what I trade, how I trade it. But I think that the the issue there is like the it's just all emotional. There will be trades where there's a very fine line of where like your liquidity is just barely possible. Mm -hmm. And that is not, that's not a good thing because I'll, I'll see trades that I could technically trade. And sometimes I do get into those, but if it goes against you, it can be really punishing because um, you're, you're just really skating on thin ice. Whereas like if something's ultra liquid and you don't have to think about those those issues, then, uh, you, you're, you're smooth sailing. This is like your best opportunity. In fact, you should probably even just go a bit bigger as well, just because it's less likely to occur. What I find is like, there's a limit to what you can accomplish in small caps. And it may even be less so because like, I think a lot of uh, participants move on to like the next best thing, which is like crypto. There was a huge emphasis on to equities. Uh, in the retail trading environment, 2021, 2020. Now people are starting to be a little more jaded towards the market and they're like, just going for the quick, easy money <laughs> on the sure. cryptos. And uh, that has an effect on what we're doing, but also just uh, like current environment, you know, with the whole uh, invasion from Russia to Ukraine, like there's a lot of tension, a lot of fear. The market already before that was kind of tanking in a sense, people were being more conservative. And then on top of that, you have the earnings season, which typically takes the attention away from small caps regardless. So it kind of created this uh, perfect kind perfect of slowdown storm. period. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're just kind of waiting out. Like we're still even really in earnings season at the moment. So it's like, I couldn't, typically if I had kind of this to look forward to and I was like, oh, okay, earnings is going to be kind of slow potentially that I wouldn't really be bothered by it, but because it was already kind of 
lame to begin with. It's just been so long. So in my last conversation, uh, which happened to be with uh, Ricky Analog, he talked about how back in October, he kind of switched to a fully systematic trading system, taking out all of his discretion. Do you have a lot of discretion in your system or are you basically following, are you cool, calm and calculated with basically every entry that you decide to, to take? My system can be executed without any discretion. I try to add discretionary elements, but only because I feel that's kind of necessary for growth. Like there's a really good quote by Ed Sakota, which is like, you, you have five rules to live by. It's like, let winners run, you know, cut losses. It's all basic stuff. Follow your rules, right? But then like the fifth rule is know when to break the rules. And I feel like when you get bigger and like all the, you have all these concerns about executing your position, it's like you cannot just enter and exit in one spot. Therefore, like when you systematize something, it's like it's really hard to account for like slippage, for example, or like setting a floor or ceiling or just like executing larger orders. At that point, you have to kind of use your intuition to mitigate that damage as you see it unfolding. And for that reason, that's, that's where I have to add discretionary elements to my trading. For example, like if I have a large position, but the volume is like, is slowly fading and becoming like mostly irrelevant, then I have to like understand that even if I wanted to get it to a certain price target, it may not physically be possible or even worth it to get to, to that point because uh, my orders themselves will push the price back up. And so it would make more sense to get out like in a more liquid time of day or like a flush, you know? So there are elements of like just pure understanding of liquidity and a sense as a trader that you have to incorporate with growth. But if that wasn't an issue, I could execute everything like completely systematically, like absolutely no decision-making. That's amazing. I have so much admiration for that. But I mean, the old adage is always like, there's never been a black box that actually succeeds. Do you yeah. feel like that's where you kind of like have to sprinkle in some discretion? Is that why? Well, see, when people talk about edges, I think I might be one of the few who will say my edge has less to do with like the pattern uh, and more to do with risk reward. Uh, for me, the edge is that like you can be profitable with if you target a certain risk reward and you actually get it um, with a win rate that produces a profitable equity curve. And so for me, I'm not actually worried about like the inputs I put in, like I lose quite a bit. I, like I said, I have a 30% win rate on average. Some months I even have like 20% win rate, which is absolutely terrible. I mean, I ask myself sometimes the black box is literally just doing the opposite of what I do because that's an 80% win rate. It's because I, I always tend to like get those winners to the maximum price target or like, because I'm systematized, like I, I don't just take partials or reduce my position or not get my full position on for trades that are working that enables me to execute my edge. And I think that if there was no ego involved, if there was absolutely no ego involved in my trading, I could execute even on a higher level because like a lot of times I want to get like the perfect execution versus what statistically would give you a profitable equity curve in the same sense as like a casino would just law of large numbers, make money over time. Like if you literally just go, okay, three to one with a 50, 40% win rate, 
is profitable no matter what, however many inputs you put into it. If you literally just engineer every trade to be three to one, where as soon as it hits three, you just take the profit, like whatever the chart does after that is whatever, then you will be profitable. It, it is like a mathematical thing. It has nothing to do with like the actual pattern. And you can basically do that in many ways. And even the problem is like with large caps in particular is that you need a lot of buying power to put on the the tight risk that required to sort of engineer those trades with like a less volatility environment. But whereas like why I found like a great edge in small caps is that the ranges can be quite high. And that that gives me more room to place like a reasonable stop where um where I can deal with some volatility uh, and still produce like really good risk reward. And so like I actually don't make more with less essentially. Yeah. I don't, I don't place trades thinking I'm going to win. I place trades because the risk reward is there. If, if that plays out, then I will make money. That's, that's just like a matter of fact, basically. Great. All right. So let's talk a little bit about process. Walk me through the bell rings at 4 PM. What are you doing from that moment until the, the open the following morning? That's, honestly the best time of day because i close all the positions so um now it's just all about how do i analyze these trades and so like basically as soon as the bell rings i i press one button and then it, it screenshots all the charts i need so it'll like go into my broker open it up type in the ticker press the screenshot button name the ticker save it to a, a dropbox which is you know i can access on my phone whatever and it'll do that for every single trigger i traded I, I scripted that. And then, so that's really helpful. And then I'll take all the data from my broker, like the execution data, account balance, everything like that. And I'll put that into an Excel, which I'll go ahead and now like break that data down. So I'm going to like figure out what does that dollar value equal in R. So like, what am I, what was I risking on that day? What was the locate fee cost, the data, uh, you know, the commissions, and then subtract that, you know, from the gross and then um, the most important part now is actually where I go through every single execution I have and I break them all down into tr to their individual trades. So I'll be like from the entry to the exit when I close that position out, no matter how, how many times I scaled in whatever, what was the P&L result? Like, is it red or is it green? And then what was the R value corresponding to that day's risk? And then I... I literally uh, take all those values and I, I line them up next to the ticker symbols name in the Excel so that when I go back and review on those charts, I can look at the executions and know exactly what was risked, how much did I lose or how much did I gain? And I try to see if there's any like performance issues where like, did I let the risk go more than I want? Did I take partial, you know, et cetera, like what was the mistakes? And then I take all those executions and I put them into an even greater execution pile where I take all those numbers and then I like get data off of those numbers. So I'll, I'll like take all the wins and I'll go average win, average R, average dollar amount. Same thing for losses. I'll try to figure out what's the win rate, what's the average risk reward, what is the profit factor, every, everything, what is the locate total, what is the, you know, the gross, what is the net. And these this data is extremely useful for me because it helps me analyze both performance, growth, mistakes, and I can now reference like month by month, like what was, you know, what, what were the trades that mattered, et cetera. And I think that's really the secret sauce in terms of review. 
uh, my process. And then I'll take some notes about the day or I'll copy and paste. Like I have a notepad throughout the day where I just write my thoughts and then I'll copy it and paste it into that, that day's journal. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if something significant happened, I'll write it on the monthly. I'll be like, oh, okay, this, this day kind of sucked or like the market was hot for this reason, whatever. Then something I added was just putting three things I'm grateful for because I read that gratitude. If you, yeah, if you, if you just train your mind, like it, it will help <laughs> with your overall well being. Very true. Mentally. Um, so that's, that's something I do. And in the past, I used to actually, every trade, I used to write a summary of like every execution. What was I thinking? Just a lot of details. Um, these days, I got more lazy. I kind of feel like I, don't need to do that as much. Like I, I realized that, um, you know, in the review process, it's like you can write things down, but if you don't go back and read it, like it's kind of useless. So I, I realized what were the things where in a year from now, if I look back, what, what will add value to me? And I even did a full year review just a couple of weeks ago of 2021. And th those were precisely correct. I went back, I looked at the month. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. What happened there? And then like, I'll have a note that just says, oh, this was happening in your life or this was happening with the market. And then I'm like, I remember immediately. And each day as well, I'll have like color coding. So like if if I made a massive mistake, I'll put like a highlighter purple on the Excel day. So I know like something notable happened that day so I can go back and reference it in the, in the future um, or at the end of the week. And uh, yeah, you know, depending on the depending on the day as well, if it's the end of the week, I'll go back, review every single day execution by execution, every single trade. If it's the end of the month, I'll do that for the whole month and also write a review for the month, for the week, whatever. But if it's just a day, I'll just, I'll just put the day's data. <laughs> so like, that's my re review process in a nutshell. <clears throat> how many tickers and, in a day do you typically trade? I mean, how many of these charts are you <laughs> looking at? Well, like it can range anywhere from just one ticker, usually, usually more than two to even as far as much as 10. It just depends on the environment. It was not uncommon for me to trade like six or seven tickers in, in 2021, for example. But like these days I might have like two or three, four. It really, it really does depend. But I, I mean, I'm willing to take as many trades as possible. It's just like when I was smaller, I was cognizant of like taking as many trades as possible. Whereas like as I'm getting bigger, uh, it's going to naturally be smaller, which is better for me, like less stress. So I, I fully welcome that. But yeah, it's like a... Whatever opportunity is available, I will be doing analysis on it um, as long as I traded it. So, are you doing this uh, analysis right at the close, or is this? Yeah, <laughs> I, I like to do it right away because then I feel like I can do everything else that I want to do with the rest of my time. Yeah. Like, because it, it, it feels like something I have to do, you know. And so, like, I just I just continuously do this process, and then and then once I'm finished, which can take a couple hours as well, um, depending on the day, then I usually go work out have some dinner, you know, like this is not trading process, but like, to me, it's part of the detachment and just like not thinking about trading Yeah, and healthy work, routine. work on yourself. Yeah. yeah. Spend some time with my fiance who usually watch a show with dinner. Yeah. And then I usually, if I have, if I made a mistake the previous day, I usually really hammer in on thinking about it. So like at night when I take a shower, I'm just like thinking of what I could do better <laughs> and what I will do tomorrow to address that. Uh, usually, you know, if it, I didn't even really think about this, but if I made a mistake, I'm also like usually building out something at the end of the day as well. Like 
what am I literally going to do in a systematic way? Like if this happens again, what will happen? How can I make sure it happens? What are the things I need to make? What do I need to do to make sure it happens? Do I need to put a post-it note on my monitor that's unavoidable? Do I need to make a hockey? Do I need to adjust uh, the values on my strategy or the Excel, whatever? And then um, I will take note of like basically the entire day as well. And also- Do you take post-it notes into the shower with you? No, 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 no. I just just put them on the monitor, like make it unavoidable. That's a very interesting shower you must have. (laughs) No, 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 no. no, it's just, it's just a lot of thinking. It's just, I'm all, I'm really always thinking about it. Usually the, it's like the best days for review tend to just be after the losing day, to be honest, because when I win, sometimes I don't even like do this whole process at the end of the day. Like I, I might come back like later at night after dinner or something and just take the screenshots and be like, okay, there's nothing really to learn here. I mean, the, I can learn some things, but I'll, I'll look at it normally, but there's usually nothing to say. Whereas when I'm losing, like I can be, I can literally be here from like, you know, like early pre-market to basically when I'm ready to sleep, purely building out ideas or something like that, something tangible, something that I can implement right away. And usually I can get it done within the day. It does take a lot of time. And then, uh, yeah. So <laughs> what, 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 what time are lights out? What time do you go to bed? So I, I go to sleep at, I try to go to sleep at 10 West coast. I usually get up the next day, like around four or five. So I have enough time before to open. Usually during that pre-market time, I'm just scanning the market for like the stocks that are, you know, running or this, or I pay attention to the stocks that were running like the prior days, uh, just to see if there's anything that I can short. <laughs> and then, uh, do you use a screener? Yeah. Yeah. I use, I use uh, trade ideas and, um, I just have it off the side. I basically have a scan that like I built, which works for me the best, like something I've back tested where I know like the stocks that do pop up fit my criteria generally. Like I try to, you know, I break it down between, you know, the price and the, the important, you know, the obvious stuff like the float and whatnot. So yeah, I basically write down like all the, I take a note of all the stocks that would have popped up. So I know exactly like if, if at the end of the day, I missed it for some reason, I asked myself, why did I miss that? But I at least have a record of it. Or if I dodged it, you know, like I still see it. Um, I try to make sure I see everything. I usually get my locates and put in a plan into my Excel. Like I'll write down, like, where's my entry, my exits, my uh, position size, and what was my what's my risk on those trades? And then like, make sure when it comes down to it, like I know exactly what to do. Um, and then my system basically just, on the chart will present to me, like get in here and then I'll just push the button. If it, if it happens, if it doesn't, then it doesn't. At that point, I just towards, you know, like after the open, usually I set my stops and stuff like that. And I just kind of wait, I'll put alerts out. If it starts to kind of work for me and like, I feel good about like I can walk away for a bit. I usually go take a nap for like 45 minutes. A lot of times I go take a nap and then like, I get an alert right away or like within five minutes and I'm like, Oh my God, I run back to the desk and I see if I need to like execute to get out of a trade or something like that. And then, uh, I basically just hold to my price target and I just repeat the whole thing all again at the end of the day, do the whole review. Talk to me briefly about what the metrics of qualification for qualification into your system. Like, what is it that you're looking for on these individual stocks? 
that would qualify them to be worthy of trading other than just being micro cap? So usually like the, I'm looking for those bigger moves, obviously, like a lot of people looking for those huge percent gains. I'm looking also for the volume as well and just the, the general pattern. So to me, I think right now and probably for the past year, it's been mostly technical analysis. So in the past, there was a huge fundamental aspect to it where dilution was really important and it still is, but I would say like, it's not as relevant these days. So I definitely don't pay as much attention as I used to with the filings. I am looking for like technical uh, setups in the sense that like when I, I see it, I recognize that this is something that I know. And like, I'll also do the analysis on the daily chart. So I want to see, you know, like a clean chart. A lot of times there will be these charts, especially in the past two, a year, year and a half, two years where it's like these stocks that they do gap up, but then they hold and then they gap up again. They hold the gap, you know, it's like a, they just don't die. And so like those stocks, I understand immediately have a lower odds percentage. I'll still usually take those if um, the intraday gives me a signal, but like I am aware that the chart is like more or less broken and riskier. So like the chart does have a huge like factor on whether or not like I think a trade is a good trade, but more importantly to me is the intraday action. So I am looking for like the, um, not necessarily exhaustion, but I'm looking for like topping action and I'm looking for price to kind of confirm that there is like selling. So, you know, usually gappers, they kind of, they run up and at some point their selling comes through. Not always does that equal, you know, like a full on fade or something like that, but um, there's a, at least a, a chance. And for me, the, the chance is worth taking, the risk is worth putting on because, you know, if there is a range to take advantage of, then I want to be there. And I want to be getting the best risk reward possible because like, if I, if I do nail the trade the way that I should, then whatever losses I take should be more than made up for. But like, you know, obviously occasionally it just doesn't work all day long. And so, you know, I can have trades where I am getting signals, I am getting confirmation, and then I'm even getting like extra confirmation and the price doesn't agree with me. Like there could be, you know, many factors as to why that happens, but those trades I typically just max out on, uh, based on what I know of my system. If I tend to lose that much and get maxed out, um, in a natural way, then I should just leave it alone because it, it will not work. Or if it does, it will be, you would have to have so much patience or withstand so much pain that, uh, I just kind of have to let it go. Otherwise without a max loss, like my system would just be constantly firing signals. My system is very aggressive. You can have a system where like the intraday action more or less guarantees, well, not guarantees, but has like a much higher probability of following through. But the problem is that if you have a really conservative kind of signal, the risk reward goes down, which means that you do need to sustain that high win rate to sustain profitability. And you can go through more like flux with your, with your results on a day-to-day -day basis. But like, if you're more aggressive, you will take more heat. It takes more emotional control to cut losses and everything like that. But like the rewards are really great. And so I found that works better for my personality where like, I'm willing to take hits knowing that it'll be made up for, because like, it's a huge advantage when you know, you can take like several losses in a row and make that up and better yet. Even if you have like a bad day, 
knowing you can recover that in a pretty timely manner if things just work out. So that's the reason why like I am very aggressive and have a low win rate and everything like that. It's it's for the risk reward. I, I literally live for a risk reward. So that's all I focus on. And that's, that is my edge. There are days where I'll take every trade, my system will fire and I will max out in every trade that can happen. I can max out on like four tickers at the same time. It's even happened three days in a row just at one time. To me, that is hurtful and it, it sucks, but like, I know that over the long run, it does play out really well. And, and sometimes in some cases I can make it back very quickly just off of a day or two. And that's just the nature of risk reward. So relying on that as a foundation for like the way I trade is really important. How about uh, stops? Do you use them hard stops or do you just kind of monitor? How does, how does your system work with stops? Yeah, I, I, I always put in stops and I think it doesn't even make sense not to use stops. I understand that people are scared that, you know, they're going to get stop hunted or whatever they want to say. But uh, I think it's more important that you just get out of the trade. And in small caps, it's things can happen really quickly, like faster than you can react. And uh, it's really important that even if you can mitigate the damage in the sense that like you still may get slipped, but part of your position executes, that's really going to help a lot like over the long run, because like there are so many trades where they go against you and they just never look back. And those are the ones that will kill you. So for me, I know that even if my stop doesn't get triggered or it gets partialed, I have to get out immediately. And yeah, some people play on that. Some people, they look for those opportunities to start their position. But for me, like I'm okay taking that loss. And usually I'm doing it on a limit order versus a market because, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get filled at any price possible. I want to have a little bit of discretion there. So I kind of build in my slippage. So like the, the price that I'm going to get out is usually where my, I intend to stop. And then, uh, my limit order will be like a little bit above that to just take whatever liquidity is there. If that does happen, just so I know, like at least something will get taken out. And I can say like, you, you can pretty much do that with pretty good amount of size at some point it might not make sense, but like, um, that's a whole different story and you can still break your orders down into like smaller pieces and put them at different spots too, to scale out of losers. But this is a, something that I wouldn't really talk about just because it's more advanced. And I think like average person wouldn't need to consider that for a really long time, if, if at all. For the most part, I believe that 99.9% of traders should just use a stop regardless. And, you know, if you're getting stopped too much, then that, that might speak more to an issue with your own trading system or process than like the market BSing you, you know? Got it. Do you use any uh, specialized routes or any specialized orders like trailing stop orders or anything like that? you're trading i go through a couple different routes and to be honest i don't i don't really know uh whether or not it it's great like i just cycle between routes to see what's working on a given day because i i know that sometimes different routes are working better usually i'm just using like typical uh ecn like arca or something like that that's, that's like probably like majority of my trades will just execute through that it's just when it comes down to like if i want to hit like if I want to see if there's any dark pool orders or something like that, I might try it. Sometimes I get lucky where like something will be there and it'll just get me out of a trade. So I just try it anyway. But uh, a lot of times like it, it doesn't. And I think the most important thing for routing to me is the ability to iceberg order. There are some routes that cannot do that. And so like, it's really dangerous to kind of put those orders out because then your size gets revealed on level two. 
but yeah it's like i think arc is like pretty much as good as anything uh routing is not really that important um in my opinion you just play around with it see what what's working like i've, I've cycled through just random routes just to see the brokers you if you have a direct access broker you should be able to ask them for a route list see whatever their proprietary kind of routes are or whatever i've tried uh twop because i saw nate was using it 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 didn't really work great for me <laughs> for me it's just a uh, exit like one share 100 share 200 share like it's it doesn't work uh for me <laughs> and um it just pushing the price up so I, I don't recommend that if anyone was curious about it i, I don't think it works personally or maybe maybe my broker's team not so not so good trailing well, probably work better if you're trying to just build build a position in the shorter term it, it doesn't really make much sense especially in in super high volatility uh well it's like movement. i know i i i seen them mostly using it for covering it sounds beautiful to me it sounds beautiful the idea that it will break your order down and just cover whatever is appropriate for the time slowly yeah. like it just it sounds great but in, in practice i've not found it better than just executing your trade manually but that that could be just just be a me problem um <laughs> trailing i don't use trailing just because i feel like it's really dangerous in the sense that like you know stocks don't just move straight down and a lot of times they don't even trend sometimes you're getting lower high lower high lower high you think everything's great and then they'll just reverse quickly base rip, and then they'll come back right so i don't want to be getting out in a minor trend break a lot of times. So I don't, I don't really use it that way. It's my, my only automated orders are really just the hard stops. And I have like passive orders at times for just the exits on the, just on the, the position. A lot of times I'm just having to actually just take liquidity um, if I miss the exit, but yeah, it's the, the route itself. I don't think it's really that important. Talk to me briefly about this concept of freezing risk. Yeah, this is this is really important, and I I didn't have enough time to really explain it in my presentation at Traders for a Cause, but that that was really the first time that I said it in a content piece outside of Twitter. And I know it's hard to explain in Twitter, but uh, freezing risk is really important. Um, I found because or one of the foundations to my own trading and position sizing position sizing is with compounding, and so I am looking to use like a one percent of my account typically to risk. In a magical world, yes, you can compound infinitely like every day and yeah, it will grow your account massively. But uh, in practice, we all have limits in terms of the risk that we can put on. So like, let's say you have a killer day and now your risk is jumping like an order of magnitude greater than what you were typically risking, then that may be good if you can handle it. But like more often than not, people don't just double up the risk or whatever because you're now unable to execute the trade without emotion. And that emotion comes from not being familiar or being way too out of your comfort zone. So the concept of freezing is something that I created to kind of combat the downside, the negative risk of compounding. Uh, much like, you know, for example, people who use Kelly Criterion, for example, they don't use one full Kelly because that can be a massive amount of their accounts. A lot of times they use a proportion of the Kelly even though things can be mathematically optimal or just in theory, you know, I think you have to add a level of pragmatism to whatever systems you're using. And to me, it made sense to say, hey, while I'm compounding my account, let me mark goals or posts with dollar risk that I feel like I may be uh, content with or 
struggle with potentially something to, like as a stretch goal. So as you're compounding, let's say that you, you're risking hundred bucks and uh, the next milestone for you may be to risk 200 bucks, just doubling up your risk. Well, if you're compounding, you know, if you win, you're growing your account, you're risking more. If you're losing, you know, it can fluctuate. You're going to risk less, but you're on a journey towards something. And as long as you have something to work towards, like now, you know, where to cut it off. So freezing does a lot of things. If you, let's say eventually you hit that $200 risk mark. So your account's grown enough where you can risk $200 with using a percentage of account or whatever. Now what you do is you, you keep your account at that threshold. Um, what I like to do is I like to give myself a little buffer. So I'll keep my account slightly higher than what is required for that risk, but I'll still freeze at that risk. So like I'll take trades on that risk, but no more. So even if I win the next day, I'm not going to now compound that risk further because I'm going to stay at the dollar risk I set as a goal. But if I lose, I'm going to decrease my risk because you should always be sizing down if, if you're having adverse conditions or things are not going well. It's just sure. it's just a best practice. But um, basically, like you don't, you don't exceed this level. What it does is it trains you um, emotionally uh, and intellectually to accept this risk because you may not be familiar with the fees associated with that risk. You may not be associated comfortable with the feeling of making that kind of money or losing that kind of money or maxing out on that money. And what it also enables you to do, which is most important, is actually give you a basis to start wiring out into your own bank account to actually pay yourself and treat this as a business. And so now that you know like where you should cap your account off for the short term or whatever, however long you're gonna give it, and I'll explain that later, you can now start giving yourself a good amount of income that you will swear that you'll never put it back in the, in the broker's account. So you're just gonna pay yourself. Now you know like, okay, I can support myself for X number of months, X number of years, whatever. That relieves the pressure, which also gives you the next psychological boost to risk more in the future because now you understand like you are taken care of. And that is a huge factor in trading because sometimes people, they don't even take any money out of their account, even if they grew their account from 20K to 150K. And as far as I'm concerned, you can lose all that money at any point if you make a mistake. So that is not a good way to treat trading as a business. That is more of like a, a risk, risk on kind of a gambler's mentality. Gambler's mentality. Yeah. It's, a, it's egotistical for some people. So, because they want to just grow their risk and everything, they want to rush the process. But I think like, this is really important. And um, the idea of kind of holding on to a certain risk level was given to me by one of my good friends. He works at a fund and he manages like pretty good amount of money. But interestingly enough, he's also a licensed therapist and uh, he understands like the, the psychology of this as well on a, on a different level. And he said that um, you have to be able to associate your identity with the amount of money that you're risking, but also the amount of money you're pulling in as well. Sometimes um, like even, even at this point in my life, like the amount of money that I may make on a trade or the drawdowns I experience, or like the amount of money that I wire in and out, et cetera it's still uncomfortable. And until the point where like, well, that's because I'm pushing my size, but when you're pushing your size, you're always going to have some level of discomfort. And the most important thing is that you become comfortable in a sense so that you can execute flawlessly. You can let your edge express itself. You can be, uh, keep your mental capital and you can support and take care of yourself and your family. If you need to do that, if you have responsibilities outside of yourself. 
So I think this is a really responsible way to form this identity and it takes time. You have to be able to interact with this money. You have to be able to take the losses as well, which is another important part. So sometimes people, I think the good times are just always rolling in. They don't think about like what happens when you take a, a daily lockout, you know, two, three times in a row. They don't think about that. And the thing is like the market always finds a way to serve that right up to you when you feel like you're on a streak. So it is going to come. You best prepare for it by treating this like a business, treating it seriously. And so once you've built that tolerance and that uh, control and you understand like this is something that I can handle now, this doesn't, when I take losses, doesn't affect me. I'm trading perfectly or as, as best as I can, like I'm ready to move on to the next level. Then you identify now like, okay, what's the next threshold that I want to move on to? Maybe you go for $200, $400, $500, who cares? Now you start building up your account to that point and you repeat this process and um, it can it can last however long it needs to be. Um, at certain risks, it took me a week. Sometimes it takes me a day. Sometimes uh, it takes a month. And at one point, like my ultimate goal back in 2021, I stayed on that risk for three months. So it really is dependent upon what milestone it is and what it means to you psychologically and how you can deal with that. And then this is the ultimate means of protecting yourself because of the fact that you're able to size down as well. Like you, you cap the upside, but you limit the downside. Um, some people will get tempted to say like, I'm at this level. I, I deserve to be here. And I did that too, where I got to a certain level. I got to my risk and I said like, I don't want to size down anymore. And what happens is, uh, if you ever, if the market ever turns on you or things just go, go poorly, um, you will lose a lot of money. It's best to get in the habit of reducing that risk so that when the market is working in your favor, the compounding is actually doing its thing because people think about compounding, like it's the magic, you know, multiplier, exponential multiplier of money. And it can be, yes, but they don't realize how, what is the value in it, it which is that it determines your size based on both your experience with the market, with your own ability to execute, uh, your own mentality, uh, how good your strategy is performing instead of the environment. Like it, it factors all these things in because based on what your results are doing, if it's negative and it's shrieking to the downside, you will be sizing down and protecting yourself. Whereas if the market starts to, let's say, turn or things start getting better, you will in no time get back to where you want to get back to and you will have much less of a deficit to recover from. So there's a magic in this system of position sizing and controlling your account and balancing that, that bankroll, so to speak, that I think this affords you. And basically freezing is just the theory that I put on top of it, which I felt played out like beautifully. And so that it's something that I understand from experience and years of working through, I can recommend it as a best, best practice, basically for anyone who subscribes to a similar ide ideology. That's really, really impressive, man. Uh, you've clearly put a lot of thought into this and, and, uh, that's great. One question I like to ask everybody, and this will probably be the last question I have for you is I like to find out exactly what motivates people to trade. And I guess that goes kind of along in, li uh, in line with what your forward looking goals and desires are. So what is it that brings you back to the table every morning, uh, wanting to do this? Like, what is it that drives you? I think probably the high, the highest thing, or maybe the most obvious thing for me would be, I love, I love to 
execute and see the results. I like to improve. I, I really love the idea of growth and, you know, the potential in the market, just the, and more so really the potential within myself. Like my, my goal is not really money goals. It's more about, can I reach the limit of my own potential? And as long as I still have that, it gives me the motivation to show up the next day because I always know there's something I can improve or work towards. That is, that's the ultimate thing. But I would say, you know, there's also kind of the darker aspects. Like I mentioned before from gaming, I wanted to vindicate myself. I wanted to prove my own worth to myself, my own value. Um, I wanted to build back that confidence in my own, like, you know, beliefs and my own kind of way of doing things. And, um, I felt disrespected. I felt like upset about my performance. Like I wanted to have a great team. I wanted to win like major championships and I didn't get to do that. So that's kind of been supplanted by just trading and like wanting to be uh, a higher level trader and see how far I can get in that. So to me, like, because I did something so difficult in gaming, I knew I could do it in trading if I put myself deep into this work. And at the same time, I realized that because trading is so difficult, if I could get a, at a high level in trading, then I believe, you know, all factors aside, if, you know, I didn't have like, I mean, I always take responsibility for myself, my own actions, but at some point I have to also recognize like having teammates, there's, there's more elements than outside of myself. And I feel like, you know, it helps me reassure myself. Like, you know, I, I feel like I could have gone to where I wanted to get, you know, things didn't line up, but. Like I'm trying to prove my own potential to myself. Um, and then lastly, it is that I want to be like a contribution. I want to be a positive force within my own social circle, within my environment, with the community. And I feel like the best way to do that is to perform. Like I always recognize, uh, even from a young age, that the best way to take care of people is to take care of yourself first. I make the sacrifices now to be a great trader so that no one I know has to worry about money. People I, I love and care about don't have to worry about anything. Like I can take care of them. You know, we can do things, whatever we want to do. I can be a contribution to the community because I know that everything that I'm saying, I've done it through experience and I can back it up. You can call people fakes, frauds, whatever, but I know that I'm completely legitimate and I'm pretty damn good also. So if I have an opinion, it's not something I'm throwing out just because I want to like piss people off. It's because I've experienced it. I believe in it deeply and I believe it can add value to you. So like all these things are really important for me. And I also want to just give back in general to the society. And so like I do my part to just be generous outside of trading. And I love, you know, surprising people, you know, like if, if someone deserves like a nice tip, I'll give them a nice tip or if I can help someone out. I think money is something that people really value. And the thing is when you trade, you make a lot of money and that money means less and less to you as you grow, but to someone else, a little, little bit goes like a hell of a long way. And so I think that can kind of echo out into the rest of the world, like in a huge way, if you're just generous um, in general. And like, to me, that's really a positive emotion. So I'd love to do that. And I'd love to continue to do that. So uh, for me, it's just a, co a combination of all those things, really. I'd love to say to silence the haters, but Brian, to be honest with you, I don't think you have any. I mean, not that I know of. I have. I have. <laughs> oh, I really? Have. Yes. That's, that's news to me. 
Brian, it's been such a pleasure having you on. This is such a great conversation. I, I appreciate what you've done for Traders for a Cause. Thank you for coming to our last conference. I'm, I'm hoping that I can count on you to uh, participate into the future, right? Yes. Yeah? Definitely. Awesome. Did you have a good time in the fall? That, that was one of the best experiences of my life, to be honest. I, I love every moment of it. And I'm like craving to just go back. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear. And and as I've told you in the past, you, you did such an incredible job with your presentation. And, and I hope that I can count on you uh, to uh, be on our stage again and, and give us uh, another uh, peek into your psyche. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, in the meantime, trade profit and make a difference when we'll see you next time. Thanks, Brian. Thanks.